Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayat on Tayyibah with myself, Ma'alima Shakira Hanja, here at Radio Islam International. And alhamdulillah, as you all know, our show is out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. Alhamdulillah. I'm so glad that you're all joining us, inshallah, and I hope, inshallah, that we, we give you an afternoon that you will enjoy and you will benefit from, alhamdulillah. We have been very grateful, alhamdulillah, to have spent the weekend with family. Unfortunately, we've also gone through loss this weekend, and we say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Certainly, we belong to Allah, and to Him is our return. And that is the reality, beloved listeners. We all live a life the way, subhanAllah, we have highs and we have happy moments. And then we have sad moments, subhanAllah. We have, uh, you know, moments of memories with our families. And then those same memories, uh, become, you know, change when people pass away. And then you are full only with those memories and those experiences. Now, subhanAllah, we constantly thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for without... <clears throat> For without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's assistance and without His incredible mercy upon us, we will not be able to, we will not be able to, you know, subhanAllah, accomplish anything that we seek to accomplish. We will not be able to have time with family. We will not be able to do so much. So we thank Him. And we thank Him in adversity and we thank Him in times of happiness as well. And, you know, subhanAllah, at that moment, uh, you know, when, when you get the news of somebody that you love and somebody close to you passing away, subhanAllah, it, it, it's actually quite heart-wrenching. But when you look around you and you think moments before that we were enjoying ourselves and suddenly we get this bad news or we get this news. And, you know, even if you might, you know, you, you might be waiting for that uh, news to come. Maybe you might think to yourself that oh, this person is not, is not well, they're going to pass away. It's still, it's still, subhanAllah, it's still a shock as soon as it hits you. So I was just thinking about how we could be in moments of happiness and joy. And we can be in moments where we are so, you know, gleeful and we are literally enjoying ourselves when suddenly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes that. And we've seen now in Turkey and we've seen it in so many different uh, places, Allahu Akbar, the way life just changes in seconds. And all of it, all of it is to take us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of it is to remind us that our, you know, our, our time on this world is so temporary. Our time on this world is not meant to be, you know, permanent. It's not meant to be something that we get so lost in that we forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling us back to Him. So, not to start off on a dismal note, but on a reminder, you know, subhanAllah, a specific reminder for myself, I think, first and foremost, and then for every single one of us, is that when we are looking at our lives, let us not get so, so caught up into our lives that we don't realize how to make cover of every moment, of every person, and then, subhanAllah, to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, later on in our show, we're going to be having a beautiful discussion. But for right now, let's dive in. And we are speaking about something quite interesting today, right? We are speaking about treating people according to their levels, according to who they are as people. Now, this is, you know, quite a difficult uh, understanding for us to come to because most of us, when we look at people, we think, I will treat them according to how I like to treat people or I will treat them according to how they treat me. Now, the hadith tells us something quite different, right? The hadith guides us to treating people according to their statuses 
treating people according to who they are. Right now, when we look at our interactions of people, our interactions of you know our customers, our our children, our family members, how do we understand how to make ta'amul, how to treat them? Is what we are going to be looking at, looking at, looking at in detail today, inshallah. So there is a hadith in Muslim Sharif that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam explains to us that when it comes to people and when we are meeting people, we should look at each person and we should treat them according to their level, according to their status. Now logically, when you hear this, many of us, many of us think, no, we should treat everybody equally. We should make sure that each person is being treated equally. Now this hadith does not mean that we should, you know, treat some people with, with, with respect and others without respect, or we should look down on people. No, we are understanding what is the meaning of this hadith, how to treat people with fair and equal treatment according to who they are. So if we start off, subhanAllah, we have to understand that equality in itself is to ensure that every individual has, yes, an equal opportunity, but we also want to see that people's rights and human rights are being taken care of according to what their needs are. You cannot treat, uh, you know, subhanAllah, somebody fairly, like for example, the person who treats, who, who, who is your employee, you treat them fairly and you say, but I treat my children like this. No, your employee has a different relationship with you and your children have a different relationship with you. So, yes, generally we have to have this equality. But the respect and the fairness that we have to have within each dealing has to be according to who that person is. Because, and this is critical, it's critical because it allows people to understand that you are impartial and you are fair. And it also allows people to see that you are taking care of their rights and you also look at their rights as something quite valuable and something important. SubhanAllah, when you want to show and you want to encourage people to understand how to treat people in a good way, in a fair way, then you have to understand the difference between being fair and equal treatment. So when we speak about fair treatment, why is it different from equality? Equality is that every single person, first of all, first of all, what we have to understand is every person is different. Every person has some unique quality or trait that another person might not have. Just general traits. Somebody might be big. Somebody might be small. Somebody might be an elder. Somebody might be a youngster. Somebody might have experience. Somebody might not have experience. So, People have different nuances that make them who they are, different little little ingredients, so to say, that will explain to you and me that we should be treating them in a way that's more respectful, right? So their skill sets, their responsibilities, their goals will all be different. Their, their outcome, their, their relationship with you, their responses to you will be different because of how unique they are. So when we speak about this equality that we can understand that we are looking at each person as who they are within their context and within their realities. Whereas fairness is that you treat people appropriately, individually, based on their circumstances and the contribution that they bring. Now, the, the question that we get comes to us all the time is, is that how do we incorporate equality and fairness in our interactions with people, but at the same time we are treating people according to their manzil, according to their stature, status or stature. 
So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in, in, uh, in uh, uh, the kitab of Ahmad, he says to us, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ لَمْ يُجِلْ كَبِيرَنَا وَيَرْحَمْ صَغِيرَنَا وَيَعْرِفْ لِعَالِمِنَا حَقٌ SubhanAllah, he says, they are, those, they are not from amongst us. Those people who they, they understand or they respect or they, they give venerance to the big ones and they have, or to the elders and they have mercy on the small ones and they know that our alims also have a right. Now, Aisha radiallahu anha in a sahih Muslim, she used to say that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam had commanded us that we should treat people according to their their, their manazil, according to their status. And I'm struggling with this word because the, how do you appropriately bring this into English? Because if I say to you, treat people differently, people, we will immediately think to ourselves that, you know what, that person is better, so I treat them better. This person is wealthier. No, this is not what we are looking at. We are looking at the fact that people have different kinds of, you know, we say tabaqat, like different ranks in life, right? So the manner that I will teach, treat a small child would be different to the way that I treat an, a teenager. And the way that I might treat a person, and I again come to this, a poor person as opposed to a wealthy person, not in my equality, but in my fa- not in my fairness, but in my equality will be different, right? Then you have, subhanAllah, people who, when you are speaking to somebody, you have to understand the right that that person holds over you. If you are interacting with your mother, it's a different interaction as opposed to you interacting with your father. Interacting with your father means that you have, he has a certain rights. Interacting with your mother means she has certain rights over you. Interacting with your children means that they have certain rights over you. Now, when we understand this, when we understand that every single one of them holds different rights and different, you know, hukuk that we have to fulfill, what happens, beloved sisters and beloved listeners out there, is that our we then understand what this hadith is explaining to us. This hadith is saying to us that we should take into consideration, we should take into consideration that every single person might be different. Every every single person has to be given their haq. Now, let's look at some practical examples, right? One important thing here will be to speak to people according to their ability to understand. And we remember that when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he sent, uh, sent Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu to Yemen. He sent him as a da'i, as a person who's going to be calling out to people, as a teacher, as a judge. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam started speaking to him and he said to him, You are going to come to this kind of people. They are from the people of the book. And he started to in, 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 uh, you know, speak to uh, Mu'adh bin Jabal and advise him how to interact with them because they might not be the same as the people that you have interacted in the past, right? So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was teaching him. But when you come to them, speak in a way that is respectful of them, speak in a way that is on their on their level. And Aisha radiallahu anha, you know, um, Nabi Sallallahu once told Aisha radiallahu anha, he said, oh Aisha, that you know, subhanAllah, when you look at how the people are speaking, when they, when you look at how they were speaking, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us how to speak to people according to their level. And if you look at, you know, Allah regards the, the people who are elders as malak, right? 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the story of Nuh and he says, and the elders of the people, the Mala'u, they were regarded as the elders, the honorable ones. They were the leaders of the people. And here, subhanAllah, what happened was they were speaking in a way that might have been against the manner in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to speak. But again, over and over and over, we are thought to look at how we are speaking to them. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to to Nabi, to Nabi, uh, to Nabi Musa alayhi salatu wasalam in the Quran, he says, he says, even though you might be speaking to a tyrant, you'll still speak in a very soft manner. So when you go to Aisha radiallahu anha as well, she was, you know, one day she got angry and so she said, As-salamu alayk, you know, and um, the, the, so at that time, they both said As-salamu alayk. So Aisha radiallahu anha, they, they, they said to her As-salamu alayk and Aisha radiallahu anha responded and said, Wa alaykum as-salam and you have this, you know, a bad word against you as well. And she said, Wallahna and cursed. So Nabi Salaam said to her, Mahlan ya Aisha, don't do that ya Aisha, stop. That's not something we do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves kindness and softness in in our actions, in every matter of ours. So so I said, oh Rasulullah, didn't you hear what they said? And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that Qad kulta wa alaykum, you should have just said wa alaykum and upon you and that would have been enough. Now, this is something that I, you know, want us to think about and ponder on. And inshallah, when we focus on how we are treating people, are we, you know, treating, generally treating people with with equality and fairness, but then are we taking into consideration how I would speak to my mother-in-law as opposed to how I would speak to my sister-in-law, how I speak to my husband as opposed to how I speak to my children, how I treat my sisters and how I treat my brothers. Am I being generally equal? And then, subhanAllah, am I, you know, not valuing the person and thinking, this person has more experience than I do. That person has more knowledge than I do. How do I keep the respect for that person? And how do I ensure that that person, inshallah, gets close to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through my interaction with them and not away from the deen of Allah? Beloved listeners, we'll take a short ad break, inshallah. And when we get back, we'll continue with the discussion. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Beloved listeners of Radio Islam International, welcome back to Hayatun Tayyibah with myself, Malima Shakira Hunter, here at Radio Islam International every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon. Alhamdulillah, our show Hayatun Tayyibah is out every, every uh, from 2 to 3 p.m. And we look at different topics, you know, every week, subhanAllah, in every show, there's something that enhances our mind, builds us up and develops us. But there's something quite specific that I would really love us to talk about and it's been on my mind in different manners, we've been through different kinds of trauma. And what happens is, subhanAllah, we live with the trauma of hijacking, of homebreaking. Sometimes we have, you know, this trauma of, of hearing information, especially now, today, listening to the information about Turkey and what is happening to 
our brothers and sisters out there, the, you know, secondhand trauma that really affects us. And this has been something I've been wanting to speak about for a while. And I'm honored today to be joined online by Sister Nabila Wadibala. And I hope I'm saying that correctly, Sister Nabila. And she is the published author of A Code for Life uh, with qualifications in nutrition, psychology, She's an advocate of Sunnah eating, stress relief, and healthy lifestyle choices. Her Instagram is a code for life. Sister Nabila, Jazakallah Khair for joining us today. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikim. Shukran and Jazakallah Khair for having me today, inshallah. Um, I'm happy to be here, so shukran for having me. Alhamdulillah. So, Sister Nabila, just to start off first and foremost, when we look at trauma, you know, be living in the, in the world that we live in, especially in our communities, we tend to shrug away trauma and we tend to minimize people's trauma. So, so for some people, you would say, I you know that was a traumatic incident. And somebody else might laugh and say, well, you know, we went through so much more. So trauma is the way we want to start off to understand what could it possibly mean and where do we start off saying, I could need help? So bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, let's, you know, just, just to unpack some of that and, you know, the, with regards to trauma. So trauma is something which has affected an individual, um, you know, where they, where they, where they have an altered state of mind and an altered state of health. All right. So let's start with trauma and why one would want to seek help. So trauma is that type of situation where when one encounters um, a certain, you know, uh, uh, reaction to a situation, um, that person experiences some sort of uncomfortable emotion. And that uncomfortable emotion, depending on the event, you know, the, the, the time frame of the event and whatever, you know, whatever factors surrounding that event can have an effect on a person, on a person's um, psychological and physical um, health. And that is what we look at at trauma. So we look at trauma from a mental and um, a physical point of view. And that is when, you know, someone is affected in that way that they, 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 they feel overwhelmed or uncomfortable and they may feel that they are unable to cope with something in front of them or they, 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 they end up coping, but that coping um, mechanism that they adopt um, starts to become unhealthy for them. And, and, and the cracks start to show that, you know, that, that current coping mechanism is unhealthy is when it does not enhance your life, but further takes you away from the things you love and enjoy and takes away your peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And now, unfortunately, you know, as we've mentioned in our society, stigma is massive, massive, massive around getting help for trauma, right? And what happens is, you know, life tends to move on. So we think, oh, it's moved on, so the trauma is gone. Do you think that people should seek help for past trauma? And how do they know that they need to seek that, tra- that help? So we come back to, you know, when people, the stigma of seeking help for trauma. Sometimes we feel, you know, you know, we, sometimes we, can, we, we say to ourselves or we hear others tell, uh, tell us, you know, just have sabr, everything will get okay um, or everything will be okay and everything will work out. And while that is true, um, the meaning of sabr is taken, um, you know, in a way that it should not be taken. So sabr does not mean, you know, get over it now, the event has passed, just accept Allah's will. That is not what sabr means. Sabr means sit with the feelings that you're going through, seek help and work through some of the feelings that you're going through, and 
know in that entire time that this is the will of Allah. So that is what is sabr. And part of that sabr means um, seeking, you know, professional help. So um, going to a counselor, going to a psychologist, um, or even simply seeking help from a friend, sitting with, with someone that you trust and sitting with someone that you love and saying, you know, I'm going through this. This is very difficult for me. Um, this is very hard for me. And sit with that. And if the person in front of you is unable to assist you with some of those really big feelings that you're experiencing, then a professional is very much needed. And the reason for this is that a professional is not someone who is going to, you know, declare you mentally insane and send you off to an institution uh, where you will live the rest of your life, you know, taking pills and being, um, you know, like a zombie. That is not what, um, mm. you know, the stigma or the general idea of mental health is. So what happens is when you, when you sit with a professional, so whether that may be a counselor, psychologist or psychiatrist or any other mental health professional, when you sit with that counselor, first they will ask you what you are, what are you feeling? And from mm-hmm. there, they, you know, they, they, they begin to explore the feelings that you, you, you know, that, that, that you, that you are experiencing on a personal level. And then they try to assist you, um, whether it be through talking, whether it be through any other method. So there may be, you know, certain, um, uh, you know, cognitive, um, reframing that needs to be ha- that then needs to happen or there may be certain um, perspectives that need to be changed for that person in order for that person to live a more fulfilled life a healthier life a life that is not affected by um, you know the feelings of that traumatic event and if you know that a professional assesses you and finds that your sleeping is being hindered or your eating is being hindered or any other aspect of your life is being hindered they will refer you to another professional and if there is um you know any sort of dietary changes or at least additional help through medicine then alhamdulillah there are institutions that are available for that and you know before we go on to the next i just want to you know clarify that you know, the, uh, the institutions that are set up for mental health care, not what we see or what we deem, you know, uh, you know, that, 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 that we think of. The mental institutions that are set up are actually lovely places that, you know, that, that are, that, that hold professionals who truly care, who want to work on the person. And that person has that, has free will in those institutions. So it's, it's the concept of a relaxing holiday, but in a controlled healthcare environment. Um, oh, and yeah. there are lots of friendly faces and there's a lot of greenery in these institutions but you know that that is the the extreme of uh, end of 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 counseling when you go for counseling it's simply talking to someone who will care for you in a constructive manner and help you guide your thoughts and help you to cope in a better way all right that's it's it's really good that we reframe that and then from there you know people a lot of people find that they have the, a, a real challenge finding the right help right and there always this issue of um who do i go to to and who do i trust with this kind of trauma or difficulty that i'm going through so you obviously are you know yourself you are well aware on this you understand this but for a lay person now how do you choose between counselors psychologists life coaches how do you know which one suits your needs uh, or, or particularly what you're going to and specific to trauma counseling 
So with trauma, um, you will start off, your first point of contact should be a counsellor. It can be any type of counsellor that specialises in trauma. So you get different ty- uh, types of counsellors that can specialise in different type of methods, in different types of ideologies, in, diff- in different types of areas of psychological work. And when you go to that counsellor, that counsellor will assess your level of, um, you know, your level of coping and if they find that talk therapy and you know whatever qualifications that they have in their toolkit they will um, you know sort of encourage you to continue seeing them however you always 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 have the choice to discontinue seeing your counselor and opting for another counselor that you feel more comfortable with now you will mm-hmm. choose a counselor based on your belief system based on your values and based on your characteristics so a simple search on google um you know can help you understand the counselor better because or any health uh, mental health professional um you know go on to google see some of the reviews, um, you know, read up on the websites that, you know, the counselor will provide, read up on the website, what values, um, you know, does this counselor stand for? What what type of, uh, um, um, you know, specialization does this counselor have, you know, in, in, in their toolkit? Um, because often mental health professionals come with different toolkits. Some are more experienced and um, qualified in anxiousness or eating disorders or, you know, any type of, um, you know, sort of um, difficulty. So there's a specialization as well um, within the tra- the trauma work. Now, because we are on a Muslim radio station, I know that mm-hmm. many, many, many Muslims are listening in. And so for a Muslim person, they should see that um, if they feel more comfortable with a counselor who is Muslim and also understands Islamic psychology. Mm-hmm. And that is very important because... Um, you know, certain things come into play with psychology and, you know, the reality of, 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 of experiencing trauma and, and dealing with people, um, you know, that are part of our challenges. So, you know, it's important to have that help from someone who is experienced in Islamic psychology. Mm-hmm. And then after seeing a counselor, um, you, you know, the counselor will if, if the counselor feels that talk therapy or anything else in their toolkit is not enough and you may need um, a little bit additional help or extra help, they will often refer you to a psychologist. Now, when you go to a psychologist, the psychologist will assess your level of anxiousness, depression, um, or any other, um, you know, a- any other symptom that arises as a result of that trauma. And then they will, um, you know, sort of diagnose or um, assist or refer you to a psychiatrist for diagnosis um, or, you know, if there is medication that needs to be prescribed. But your first mm-hmm. point of contact should be a counsellor or a psychologist and thereafter you will go on to a psychiatrist. Now where life coaches come in is life co- coaches um, are often uh, equipped to deal with people who are already well. Um, so life coaches unfortunately are not qualified enough 
to um, you know manage trauma. So I would mm-hmm. uh, not advise going to a life coach for trauma because the life coach assists well people, people who are not going through trauma, but you know that are going through some sort of mental fatigue or are going through some sort of difficulty with uh, you know achieving their goals, um, you know uh, achieving self confidence or those type of, of of aspects. But with trauma specifically, you will visit a counselor a registered counselor, um, a registered psychologist or registered um, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And this is so important, subhanAllah, because there's so many people out there. And this brings me to my next question. Going for the wrong therapy, this obviously can you know, affect us in a very negative way. Can you explain to us how the wrong therapy can affect us, A? And B, just to add to that, when we you know, deal with trauma without doing it with somebody, this can also affect our iman. If you look online and you look at the different kinds of options out there, can you tell us how the wrong information can you know, affect our iman? well okay so that is a brilliant question and i think it's 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 a question that has been making its way um you know in in on social media and you know so i think that's very very relevant and it's an important question um and i'm going to answer it with this again you need to look at the values that you have and you know if the counselor psychologist or psychiatrist share the similar values to you so doing a little bit of research visiting that 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 mental health professional and on that first visit already you always have the option to leave that mental health professional and find someone else that is better for you now with mental health remember there is a lot of misinformation um that you know sort of is 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 in in is in this the 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 field of work as any other field of work. So for example, in any in every industry, there is the correct way of doing things and there is the incorrect way of doing things. And we often refer to that as malpractice. Now malpractice is when a, um, a counselor, psychologist or a psychiatrist um, operate out of their scope of practice, number one. Um, they start diagnosing you and you know when they shouldn't be diagnosing or you know they may um, give you a, a, an incorrect diagnosis because of certain you know information that is withheld or you know um, or, or at least misunderstood. So you know with mental health professional, there is malpractice and there is human error. Okay, but with malpractice, there comes the the practice of certain modalities, and we look at something called pseudosciences. Now, pseudosciences um, is basically um, you know uh, a discipline where it includes. Um, works or um you know sort of categories that have not been researched so there's there's very little research to prove that they work or they help or they assist an individual in a positive manner um and this is where you know a lot of the malpractice may come in is you know we seek to find help in 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 in, in the sciences and with the sciences as well, there is incorrect information and practice because there is so much lack of understanding in the discipline of psychology. And that is why I come to the fact of Islamic psychology. Now, I myself believe in Islamic psychology because Islamic psychology is the root of the, the uh, of modern day psychology. The first psychology to ever exist has been from the, from the Quran and Sunnah that were developed by Muslim scholars and Muslim professionals many, 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 many years ago. But at 
time when the West was still, you know, drilling into, um, you know, the heads of people for, you know, simple disorders, um, Islam already, uh, Muslim scholars already had extracted excerpts from the Quran and the Sunnah and, you know, came about ways and interventions to assist with the mind um, or, you know, with the workings of the soul. Now, modern day psychology or Western psychology has since been, um, you know, a religion. So the, 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 the presence of the soul has been removed from modern day sciences of, um, of psychology. And so that is already, um, you know, kind of a big aspect, um, you know, that, that, that modern day psychology does not, um, acknowledge. And that's why it's important to seek help from an Islam, someone who is experienced with Islamic psychology or who understands the presence of the soul, um, you know, and, and its relevance with mind and body and, you know, how, how the workings of the body work. So, you know, when we look at uh, a misinformation, that can affect a person's overall well-being. So a person may, instead of them being enhanced in a positive way, they may find that they become re-traumatized, um, you know, what certain methods that mental health professionals can use, especially if they're unqualified. So looking at someone who has hours and hours and hours of, you know, experience under their belt, number one, number two, um, that you know, it's important to look at what type of modalities are they practicing. Now, I would, as a Muslim, I would definitely avoid um, counselors or psychologists. They practice with with freedom or evol evolutionary or natural um, experimentation uh, um, ideologies, because those are specifically um, are completely against our, you know, our our aqida of, you know, our Islamic aqida. It is you know, mm -hmm. completely against what we believe. So that is important. So avoiding maybe for a Muslim uh, client to avoid freedom and evolutionary psychologists, psychiatrists, um, or um, um, counselors. So that is... I'm so, so, so sorry. I have to interject. We're running out of time. It's crazy. Oh, I'm sure. so sorry. We, you know, we are running out of time. But I, I really want to touch on the the, you know, the understanding of stored trauma. And, you know, just as we wrap up, we've got about two or three minutes left. Could you have any last words, you know, what about stored trauma and people who are currently going through trauma? What advice can you give to them? Okay, so stored trauma is when you have something that's unresolved with a particular incident um, or memories or feelings associated with that incident. And what it does is that it stores um, in your brain, in a certain part of your brain, and a lot of those emotions store in your body, either in your muscles or your tissues. And one can experience um, extreme pain. One can experience, um, you know, certain level of paralysis as well. Um, one can experience weight gain. So there's multiple physical factors that one can experience as a result of trauma and the reason for this is because your body copes with um, with trauma uh, by, re by releasing a stress hormone called cortisol. Now, in excess, when that cortisol stores in your body, it hampers um, your, your, your body's ability to be, um, you know, productive and, 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 and work at optimum. So what you want to do in counseling or in therapy um, is to effectively work through those stresses 
So in order for your liver, your, your body and everything to work and your brain and everything to work, um, you know, in, in, in sync and, and, and in a manner that is enhancing you and is decreasing those cortisol levels as well as releasing healthy uh, levels of dopamine and serotonin. And what that means is that your coping mechanisms um, that you develop need to be healthy. And when they become unhealthy for you, you become destructive to yourself. Um, so we look at self-sabotaging behaviors where you kind of hurt yourself by doing certain things, you know, simple things like abusing um, anything in our lives, you know, for coping mechanisms. One can abuse, you know, drinking tea and coffee. One can abuse medication like panado or, you know, anything else, cough syrups, um, you know, in, in order to release pain. So that is, is, is something that one needs to say, well, this is becoming unhealthy for me. If you can recognize that in a friend or family member or the person in front of you, then you need to advise them to seek help, to seek counseling. Because once they do start their journey, inshallah, they will start to see a relief in pain, a relief in, um, you know, losing weight, a relief in, in, in different aspects of their lives, whatever it is that they may, they may be experiencing. There's also mass amounts of muscle loss that one can experience um, as a result of stored trauma and, you know, unhealthy coping. So um, that is something to consider that your health, your physical health is directly impacted um, one, if that trauma is unresolved and if it's sitting with you for so many years and if you're unhealthy and if you're coping mechanisms that you've developed are becoming um, self-sabotaging. Sazina Bilal, subhanAllah, you've given us a lot, a lot to think about. And I'm really happy, inshallah, that we've touched so deeply on these topics. I think we do need a post from you as well, inshallah, for you know, just understanding more of stored trauma as well, inshallah, for our listeners out there. So listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Sazina Bilal, her Instagram handle is a coat for life. That is a coat for life. Sazina Bilal, jazakallah khair for joining us today. May Allah bless you. And inshallah, we'll chat again soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Amin and Jazakla Khair for having me. Wa alaikum as salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.